Hi again, and welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded. Adrian from the team here. This is episode 121, and I'm joined again by our head of new product development, Andrew Amanovin. Andrew, hi. Hey, Adrian. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Excited to have you on, actually. We've got a juicy story to talk about today and hopefully some really good advice from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Today, I think we're going to talk about DVT and PVT and, in fact, why each are so important and activities that take place in each that are extremely important for the product to succeed in the marketplace. Yeah, and when you're talking about DVT and PVT, I mean, this is kind of industry jargon, right? So for anybody who's listening, these are uh, important steps in the new product introduction or development process. And this is all of the actions that are going to be gone through by your manufacturer in order to get your product to market as expected, as safely uh, uh, in terms of good quality, compliance, reliability, So there's a ton of stuff that actually happens sort of behind the scenes at your manufacturer, right? And we sort of bucket these different activities under DVT and PVT. There are others as well. Uh, Maybe some listeners will be thinking EVT as well, but that comes earlier. And we're focusing on DVT and PVT here. And so what do these mean, these two uh, acronyms, please? Sure. So, yeah, you, you, you kind of touched on that. You know, I think you and I had an article a while back on product development lifecycle. And in the product development lifecycle, really uh, what we have is EVT, DVT, and PVT. And each one of these are the timelines that are set in the lifecycle plan so that each have specific tasks that needs to be done and completed for the product so that eventually ends up being a, you know, finished good um, by the time you ship the product. So EVT means engineering validation or verification test. Some companies call it verification. Some companies call it validation. Again, I think you and I discussed what the differences are between verification and validation once before. And so right now, um, EVT, you can think of EVT pretty much the prototyping stage where you want to understand uh, or figure out if the product actually is going to be meeting the design uh, specification and performance specifications. And as long as it can meet that, then you move to DVT and the DVT Mm -hmm. is design verification and or validation. And this is where you want to confirm that you can actually build this prototype to be a real product and not just a little gadget you made and only works, you know, for a while. So a Mm -hmm. DVT designed product is supposed to keep in mind whole bunch of uh, ideas such as, you know, how am I going to turn it into a product? How am I going to test it? How am I going to validate it? So to make sure that this product is going to be produced. And then, of course, 
PVT, and we're just kind of touching on these, and then we'll go and explore each area. On the PVT is when, okay, somebody just dropped a DVT uh, level product on me, and I'm the manufacturer. How am I going to produce this product for our customer? That's Mm. PVT. So to do PVT, then we'll discuss in detail what actions have to take place for a successful PVT. Yeah, okay, good. So as I mentioned, we're focusing on DVT and then running into PVT here. I think DVT is perhaps the most critical part of the process that we're looking at today because as you mentioned, in DVT, we are trying to verify or validate that the product design works basically in, in right, simple terms. Right. And right? I think you are so correct on that because DVT is basically finalizing your development stage, development phase of your product. That that includes design, testing, quality, reliability, um, mm. at least maybe some uh, compliance. And so a whole bunch of things need to work together well. And if it doesn't, you are looking into perhaps, you know, if you rush into production, if you rush into production without completing DVT in a proper manner, uh, I think you're looking into trouble. I mean, you could have all mm. kinds of, I think we had a, 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 a session that we did together on return rate. Uh, you could have a heavy, uh, high return rate because of the fact that you rushed into uh, production when the DVT was not quite complete. And you could have all kinds of heavy-duty recalls. Um, you could get onto all kinds of troubles mm-hmm. if you don't do um, DVT in a proper manner. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we spoke about this on the podcast, uh, uh, risks you face when skipping new product introduction steps, which is including EVT, Correct. DVT and PVT. And, and you were on that podcast and that was like, uh, January this year, 2022. So right. we're not going to, we're not going to go back over that topic exactly, but we are touching on it because this is so important. And whoever's listening now, if you are an SME or an entrepreneur, a startup, and you are bringing new products to market, but maybe this isn't something that you've been doing for an enormous amount of time, then this is really, really helpful information. Because if some of these activities get missed or skipped, which is even worse than missing them by accident, because you're you're missing them by design, you've got a lot of risks. And to understand the risks that you've got, you need to understand what makes up these phases. In particular, DVT, I think, is where the most risks come in terms of product quality and reliability, the performance, the compliance, right? Exactly. And so by understanding what needs to be done, you know how critical it is to go through this thorough process. So it's kind of a continuation on the topic because it's something that you really, really need to focus on when bringing that new product to market. And the reason we're discussing this today, Andrew, actually, is because we found this interesting Reuters news article recently about the big tech company, Philips. Yes. Okay? Everybody's probably heard of Philips. I think it just and... happened, what, uh, recently? Yeah, well, this article came out a couple of days ago, um, August the 16th, recording this on August the 18th. And 
basically they are parting way with their CEO because of a huge product recall. And if you've heard of Philips, you'll be thinking, okay, Philips, I'm familiar with them. They mainly focus, I think, these days on medical devices. So when you hear me talk about massive product recall and medical devices, Andrew, you're probably thinking, uh-oh, that doesn't sound great. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. Uh, I think in this case, they were uh, building uh, a bunch of respiratory type of equipment, very, mm. very critical to safety and uh, quality. And I think something went wrong, most likely went wrong during the development DDT phase when right. perhaps they didn't do the proper testing in terms of either reliability or performance or maybe the materials were not tested properly uh, because mm. I read somewhere there was a foam that malfunctioned. And so, I mean, as a result, we're talking 48,000 complaints once the product shipped, 44 people died, CEO is stepping down, company lost a billion just for the recall, and the company lost almost $30 billion in value. This is this is yeah. outrageous. This is really a heavy cost to pay when you don't follow your quality and reliability and testing and methodologies when it comes to development, developing a high quality product. Yeah. And interestingly, the guy that they're choosing to become the new uh, CEO is actually the person that's responsible now for handling the recall. And he is a quality and patient safety uh, specialist or expert, which kind of tells you all you need to know, right? They're, they've definitely pinpointed that's where the problem lies. That is very interesting, actually. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that is definitely interesting because it, it yeah, exactly. It means that they they realized that the quality was lacking and now they're going to put more focus. But then, you know, you've lost 44 people and $30 mm -hmm. billion dollars already. So why didn't you do that uh, way ahead of time? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll leave a link to the news article uh, in the show notes for this episode. We can't speculate on exactly what went wrong. We can only go on what we're reading. It appears there was an issue with the foam, as you mentioned, used in the devices. But regardless of that, clearly something has gone wrong. And as you're saying, it's very likely that there were issues within their dvt phase so they've designed these machines they've made working prototypes and now they are basically trying to go through the process to make sure that they're going to work correctly and by correctly i mean they operate correctly but also they're the right quality they're reliable they are compliant and, uh, you know, in, in the case of medical devices, they don't lead to injury, illness or, or death. Right. right that's right. that's working correctly for medical devices. But if you're listening and you're not creating medical devices, to be honest, this process is still relevant to you because you want your new products who also work correctly. And you don't want to suffer from a product recall and have that return rate to deal with, which we discussed you know, a couple of weeks ago with, with uh, myself and yourself on the podcast as well. And you definitely want to avoid that too. So with that in mind, 
Let's talk more about what goes on during the DVT stage of new product introduction and why it's so important to go through all of those activities and tick all of those boxes before we even start to think about producing the product. Exactly. And I think that DBT is important. One reason is because it's the last stage of the actual design and development. That's when everybody starts agreeing that, okay, let's just do one more run of the build and then test it and make sure everything is good to go production or not. And then once everybody agrees, then the next stage is PVT, meaning Hmm. uh, production readiness and kind of production validation test. And so why DVT is so important? There are a lot of activities that must be finalized in DVT. For example, the hardware needs to be finalized. And the finalizing hardware, really, it's not that easy. We're talking about uh, actual form, fit, function, and performance, specifications, all the components, the PCBs, all the rework, and all the testing. Everything needs to be completed uh, in, in as smooth manner as possible. Mm. Then you've got software. Software al- almost always lags hardware. So we're talking like hardware is usually anywhere from two weeks to couple of months ahead of the software. In in the case of software, they try hard to catch up with hardware, but it's almost always impossible because of the number of issues they find wrong or not, or they call it errors that they find in the software that needs fixed. Sometimes it's anywhere from a couple of, uh, you know, critical errors to thousands of errors that needs to be fixed. Anyway, the software needs to be finalized. And of course, quality and reliability, for example, reliability tests need to be finalized. And if any issues happen, need to be fixed before PBT. Uh, quality inspections need to be written uh, for all the critical inspection that needs to be done during the production. And then, of course, compliance. Um, um, if the hardware Uh, is near final, then you need to do probably compliance scanning or screening, they call it sometimes, meaning that trying to figure out whether or not this product is going to pass FCC or in the case of medical devices, FDA requirements and so on. So so they have to go through uh, these sort of things to make sure that DVT is going to be uh, passing successfully. Mm. And in the case of the Philips story, where I think there may have been an issue with the foam used in the machines, then perhaps it's the case that when they were going through the product reliability testing, the engineers are going to try to come up or or the quality testing as well, right? The engineers are going to try and come up with use case scenarios. And could it be something as simple as they just missed the fact that there could be an issue with the foam under certain circumstances. And that's exactly. If you, if you look, that's a very good observation. So if you look at the foam as uh, a component, it could be mm-hmm. a faulty component, defective component, or a, a component that has um, hazardous materials on it that is not good for the patient, 
Mm. It could be that uh, component life uh, is not good enough that, you know, after a certain amount of uh, use case, uh, I mean, uh, inter- after a certain amount of use, then starts deteriorating and then yeah. maybe materials falling apart and being inhaled by the, by the, I mean, God knows uh, actually what happened because I don't think they have detail of the issues uh, published yet, but uh, you're absolutely right. It could be a component that was not evaluated properly, tested properly, validated properly and ended up in production. Mm. Right. And so as a reliability engineer yourself, of course, accidents can happen and mistakes happen. But this is why the DVT process is so critical for reducing the risks of this. And with medical devices, really, there's almost zero tolerance for errors. Right. So, yes. Uh, so we can't say exactly what Philips has or hasn't done. But as a learning case for 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 listeners, when you're thinking about bringing your new products to market, this just goes to show that when you're going through that DVT process, you need to make sure that you've got a really, really solid reliability testing plan and quality testing plan, right? Yeah. So, for example, in the case of what they call what we call in reliability engineering, reliability growth planning, and that really starts from EVT. That's where you are planning how we're going to test this uh, device and you create test cases uh, that are appropriate for testing this device. And then you combine all of these test cases, um, which supposed to uh, mimic and simulate the real world use case environment. And I'm talking about the worst case scenario. And then uh once you put all that those test cases together we call it reliability test plan this reliability test plan is supposed to catch all the unforeseen issues that could happen in the field in the customer use scenarios and so most likely what happened was that some of these test ca- tests or test cases were not developed properly mm-hmm. that didn't meet um worst case scenarios and or were not even tested. Uh, I mean, it could be that they, you know, for example, if you talk about uh, another recall that way back we talked about, we uh, Samsung uh, Note 10, if I recall. Um, the Note 7, the Note legendary 7. phone recall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the battery uh, uh, basically exploding almost uh, spontaneously. In that situation, exactly, I think the, it was no, it was found that um, you know there, there weren't proper reliability tests done on that battery, mm. and and so uh, that was another very costly recall um, that cost billions of dollars, lost a lot of customers as a result. So DVT is a very very important stage in the development where it's very important to make sure that you systematically follow the product lifecycle uh, plans and tasks that are in hand and don't rush to market just because uh, we're running out of time. Yeah, and with manufacturers, maybe in China or perhaps other countries, uh, there's always the risk that they are going to push you to ru- to go into production ASAP, right? 
I think, honestly, in today's world where things are happening so fast, I think it can happen in any country. Mm. But in the case of China, because they are the manufacturing, a lot of times the customer is the one that is pushing the production to go faster and, and develop faster. You know, it, it, it's a lot, really all of that comes down to customer, right? The, uh, at least in small devices, device manufacturing, when mm. the customer is one guy or a small company, they're pushing the, uh, the manufacturing in terms of development there. But, well, you know, do we have to really do that test? Why don't you just skip that drop test? Maybe we don't mm. need it. And, um, you know, why do I have to pay for a compliance test for this UL test? Well, do I really, I think it's safe enough. No need to do the safety test. So these are the kind of things that we deal with all the time that customers sometimes don't have a, a, a real good understanding of what could be the, the aftermath if they just, you know, push too much uh the manufacturer to the limit where well they have no choice but basically go along with the customer because that's what the customer wanted but at the end of the day uh you know if you don't do thorough development thorough design high quality testing you're looking for trouble yeah it's kind of like dominoes isn't it exactly the dominoes start to fall because if you have, for whatever reason, not found a potential issue in your product, which is, I mean, a serious issue. I mean, if it's if it's something like uh, a slight variation in color, for example, this might even be acceptable to the consumer. But in the case of this Philips Recall, uh, one of the components for the products you know, was problematic to the point where people got hurt or, or or even died. And that obviously is a major, major problem, which looks like it was missed, hence the recall. So once that's happened, and then you're trying to go into production, then you're going into production, and then you're producing a product, which is intrinsically not reliable and not compliant and not even safe, perhaps in some cases. Yeah, this is actually a very surprise in the case of Philips because typically any kind of FDA-approved product, as you can see, FDA-approved means they're approved. So I don't know what was missed and how it could have been approved when it was actually a faulty product. So I think what happened here most likely was that it was a quality product, meaning that it met all the quality requirements for manufacturing, but it was not a reliable product, meaning that mm. after a while, it actually failed during the um, use of the product with the patients. Yeah, well, they did use the word degrade, right? So the, the foam, uh, I've got another article here, actually, about the recall uh, from a little bit earlier. I'll leave the links to these articles in the show notes so you can go read them. The foam used to dampen the machine's sound can degrade and emit small particles that irritate airways, the group said, as it announced the recall. Wow. Gases released by the degrading foam may also be toxic or carry cancer risks. Great. So def definitely very similar to another, uh, I think, example of a recall um, where the components used in the product degraded 
and actually caused death and unsafe situation. If you recall, um, uh, one of the Toyota suppliers uh, that supplied uh, airbags for many, many cars in the world. And these airbags exploded, but then metal shrapnel actually, you know, went into people's head and, you know, in some Mm. cases caused death. It may well be, like you said, that what, when the products were manufactured, they were working completely correctly and there were absolutely no issues found because, of course, the foam had not degraded at that point. So if the foam right. is working optimally, there's nothing to be concerned about. Nobody can see there's a problem. But I guess with machines that are, you know, maybe they're on 24-7 and they're they're in use for, you know, six months, 12 months or whatever – then once that degradation happens, nobody's going to know about it until it's too late. Exactly. And that kind of brings up the importance of proper reliability testing during the development stage, especially DBT1, DBT2. Mm. And DBT final is extremely important to make sure that you have ironed out all reliability issues during the DBT. And when you go through the DBT milestone, you have finalized and locked in your design, your um, software, hardware. You locked in your suppliers. You locked in your um, basically performance and specification uh, parameters, and you finalized pretty much everything with, with respect to DVT, the design, with respect to mm. design, in terms of validation and verification. And this mm. really has to go through uh, team leaders uh, in uh, the milestone review for DVT. And everyone must agree that everything is done to satisfaction and to specification and that we, we can actually lock in everything just like this uh, with these performance criteria and uh, go to PVT. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, actually, because if listeners are thinking, well, I'm worried now, what if my reliability engineer at at my manufacturer, if they said it's okay, but what if it's not okay? So there are safeguards in place, right? Well, that's a great question. Uh, So one of the, let's say, uh, services that we offer, it's basically reliability engineering services, and in, in there, we also do assessment of how much reliability is necessary to do for a given product. And mm-hmm. yes, you're right. If they didn't do the right testing or the right amount of testing, then you're looking into perhaps missing issues that could come up later uh, in worst case scenarios or worse environments or... Um, you know, when uh, someone pushes the product to the limit, then you're, you're looking at to, into some kind of a failures uh, in the product. The users always come up with really creative ways of using the device that no one ever had even thought about. That's one mm. thing. And then materials sometimes react totally differently in terms of failures Uh, in different environments you know maybe with the humidity uh, they act in one way but with the temperature in some other ways 
And then with the use case environment where the user is actually interacting with that material, maybe it will be even totally different kind. So that, that even the, the, the product manufacturer who designed and, and made that uh, material, maybe they don't even know that this could happen. And sometimes you mm. have brand new materials, brand new products that never been has never been actually tested in the marketplace. So there's no way to tell or guarantee a product, that, you know, in terms of uh, reliability. All we can do is make the product as reliable as possible, mm. so that the obvious failure modes are covered you know one might one example would be something like this we know everyone is going to drop a phone right a mobile yeah. phone. okay so if you designed that product and never tested it for drop test well for sure somebody's going to drop it and they're going to break the display immediately at a, at a at a certain height now the question is what height is considered acceptable for dropping and breaking and what height is not. Well, if I just put my device, uh, mobile phone on a coffee table, which is approximately what, half a meter high? Yeah, just, a couple of feet at most. Right, right, couple of feet. And then it just fell off of that and it, and it hit the linoleum, you know, not even a, a tile floor and broke. Well, obviously, you don't want to lose a thousand dollars of an iPhone mm. just dropping from a coffee table and breaking, and and I think mm. that would be unacceptable for most customers. However, if the same device accidentally dropped from a, a, a tall gentleman six foot and seven, you know, um, and from his hand when he was holding in his ear, we're mm. talking about roughly close to seven feet drop, I, I think no one, no manufacturer will take uh, responsibility for that. And in the, in, in the phone industry, they call that abuse, uh, even though it was an right. accidental drop. So yeah. it really, when it comes to reliability, you can't guarantee uh, everything. You, you do your best to make a device that is going to last as as uh, long as possible as uh, and and then hopefully you have covered it for the warranty period as well right okay so what you're doing there you're you're literally talking as a reliability engineer and this is the way that reliability engineers would start to explore the different use case scenarios that could potentially lead to problems and i guess that's where the importer and the listener who's listening to this needs to basically start speaking to the reliability engineers and be satisfied yes i'm happy that these people are you know covering as much as possible and i'm confident in what they're suggesting so we can move forward yeah exactly and it's very critical and important that you cover all the um basically uh worst case scenarios that could happen in the field mm. for that product in terms of use case and then don't try to cut corners on that and testing those because it could come and bite later. Let's move on to PVT section. I think that um, that's another area that could uh, cause heavy headaches later on. 
If okay. you've done a good job in DBT, now everyone is all happy and you pass the devices to PVT, then hopefully PVT will go well. Then you'll end up with an amazing product uh, in the market. So the PVT really stands for product validation or sometimes called production validation test. Really both do the same thing. You know, what it really means is that you set up a production test line. So basically Mm. it's a production line, just like any other production line, except you're not sure where the assembly line is going to be, where you're going to set up the, for example, pick and place machines, your uh, wave solder and so on and your test stations. So you're just kind of like designing your line, okay? And in doing this, there are a lot of things you have to be taken into account. And if you don't do it right, you're looking into uh, basically all kinds of failure, failed parts or return parts. So mm. in, in doing the PVT, um, of course, first thing you're, you're thinking, okay, how am I going to assemble this product? basically put it together, right? After I assemble it and put it together, then I need to test it. And then after I test it, then I need to put it all inside the box and test it again. And then I need to ship it, right? So typically when it comes to assembly, you're talking all kinds of little smaller processes that need to be accomplished properly. For example, how many operators do I need? Do I need to train him? What? Who's going to do the training materials? What about the work instructions? How are they going to actually uh, assemble these units together? So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Like, the, for example, they call it line balancing on the assembly line. Uh, each person, how much work they have to do. If one person does too much, the other person is going to be sitting idle, you know, so there's there's just a lot of work that needs to be done on the assembly side. And then, of mm. course, after assembly is done, for example, um, you know, a PCB that you're you're assembling a few um, manual parts in there, there are there there has to be consideration. For example, um, what part of this assembly line we need to automate it? What part needs to stay uh, manual assembly? And then the the parts that need to be uh, automated, you know, maybe you need a jig or you need an automated machine where the assembler will just put the device in the machine, push a button, and the machine will do all the uh, little assembly or or connectivities and things like that. And so Mm. when you move from the assembly into... Uh, testing, right? So you have to, again, decide, uh, is any of this is cost effective in terms of doing it manual testing? Uh, or manual testing could actually cause um, what you and I talked about another uh, episode related to fail, uh, uh, um, um, mistake proofing and pokayoke. And so, for example, in the mistake proofing and the assembly, you have to decide, you know, you want to automate or you want to uh, keep it manual because each have its own place. And if you don't automate it, you're looking into lots of failures. And then, of course, 
once you've done the testing, then um, you uh, move into uh, product level, you know, all the assemble, everything, uh, all the product uh, PCBs and the components have been assembled into a box. Uh, sometimes they call it, I believe, uh, I forgot the terminology. They call it, uh, I think it's called a box testing. Um, basically, really, it's the product level testing. Uh, that's when, um, you know, uh, you're testing individual areas for specification and then finally goes to final test. But mm-hmm. in in doing so, uh, you are setting up your lines and you're deciding, okay, where is the assembly lines are going to be? Where are the uh, pick and place machines are going to be so that no one runs into each other and then cause even more failures? Um, you know, and, and so it's like a, a smooth transition of tasks taking place from one to the next, either in parallel or in series. And it's moving along the line and then going from stage one to stage two, the final test. And eventually at the end, uh, doing quality inspection during, during the line and at the end of the line. And then once this, um, process ended, there is a final inspection, uh, such as, for example, OQC, uh, it's called outgoing quality control. And uh, ORT, sometimes it's done ongoing reliability testing at the end. And of course, they will do AQL uh, inspection to see uh, whether or not the, the batch that has been just built is passing and is ready to, to be shipped. Uh, and so there'll be a lot of activities taking place that needs to be documented, needs to be built around um, PVT to mm. validate the fact that the line is ready for volume production. Mm. And, and of course, again, if things are skipped here, you're going into production half-cocked. There's a chance that mistakes might happen that, will cause your product, which actually is fine. It's quality, the reli- the reliability is right, it's compliant, yet it's your production that's the weak link and that causes maybe defects and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, anything can go wrong. I mean, for example, uh, you have ordered the materials, but they, they don't come on time or uh, not only delay, but maybe something happened and uh uh, supplier of the component uh, didn't have a good uh, handle on the quality and now mm-hmm. you're having uh, failures of a certain component happening back to back now you have to take all of those thousands of units and do rework again so all kinds of things are possible but the the whole point of the uh, PVT is to set up the production line uh, yep. they don't deal so much with what could fail or not fail. But the idea is how to set it up to do it mistake-proofing for the production mm. line. Yeah, like where to put the proper inspection point on a very critical assembly uh, so that from that point on, absolutely no failures because of that critical 
activity. So um, where to test to make sure everything is passing before you do an assembly that is a very critical assembly or else other other areas may not pass or you cannot disassemble because it's all encapsulated, for example, ultrasonic. So there's a lot of stuff that they have to keep in mind how to um, poke yoke the line. Hmm. Goodness me, there's there's a, a ton of stuff that goes into new product introduction. And this is why we keep talking about it, because it's so important to, to know about this, right, when you're trying to bring new products to market. Because just one of these things, if you miss it, it could result in disaster. Exactly. And, and honestly, there is no perfect engineering teams that does everything perfect and there's no yeah. perfect production. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter where your production is. Uh, mistakes can happen. What what you're really trying to do is to minimize to a, a manageable level where you have a good control on those mistakes so that those mm. mistakes don't leak or then don't end up being a recall. Yeah, well, uh, and exactly as we've discussed with the uh, the case with Philips today, which is a really good sort of learning example there. So really good advice, listeners, if you're bringing a new product to market, if you're considering, well, what can I skip? That's really the wrong kind of mindset, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for coming along again, Andrew. I've enjoyed that and uh, an interesting story that we've discussed and really a good insight into all of the different things that we need to group together into those new product introduction steps that we go through methodically before we start mass production and get a brilliant product to market instead of one that's going to cause us trouble. So I know that's a big part of your work at the Sophist Group and with the Gillian Technology, our contract manufacturer. So I'm happy you could uh, call into the podcast again and share that experience. My pleasure, Adrian, and uh, looking forward to another one together. Lovely. Okay. Hopefully you'll be back on soon. And to everybody listening, thanks for joining us today. And we'll be back next week, as is usual. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.